into the fast lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. I just got off uh, a plane to spend some time with you because I know how important it is that we spend time together. Uh, I, I just went to the country that has more electric cars sold every year than gas cars. Uh, at least in April they did, uh, to Norway. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the new Toyota Supra. Uh, from U.S. News and World Report, John Vincent joins us in the studio today. John's going to be here for the entire show. Uh, what else are we going to talk about on today's show? We're going to spend some time talking about uh, some new ways to get Wi-Fi in your RV. Uh, there is a very spectacular new Aston Martin that was unveiled. We're going to get to talk to Simon Sproul. He is the the big chief and bottle washer in the marketing department at Aston Martin in England. Uh, and then Anton Wallman's going to join us. Uh, a new VW went on sale yesterday, and rumors have it that they sold 10,000 in one day, or at least took pre-orders for one. Something ridiculous. I think it's all lies, but we'll find out if that's true or not. Uh, John, we are um, we're having a spectacular month this month purely because a lot of the cars we saw at auto shows over the last few six months or so started to actually appear um toyota supra is is out there and that is probably going to dominate the news for the next week or two absolutely there's some great there's some great stuff out there that uh, we saw in the tundra of january finally making it on the road um i I was sort of super excited about the Supra. I was very excited about driving it, but I was super excited about the Supra. But there's a lot of people prepared to hate this vehicle before they've even driven it, or because they're they're all saying it's a BMW Z4 with a Supra body on top. I'm really surprised at the differences between the two cars um, and how they look in the interior. Definitely, there are a lot of BMW bits there, but. Um they did a good job of, of differentiating the two. You could tell, you could look at it and you could say, you know, it looks it looks the same proportions. The interior is pretty much identical uh, with some sort of new bits and pieces uh, tacked on there. But it doesn't handle that. I've driven the Z4. I've driven the four-cylinder Z4. And then I drove the, the Supra. And they don't handle like each other at all. I mean, that's all Toyota. And the Supra does not look like any other German car. No, it doesn't. It's definitely very bulbous. Um, I, you know, I always try to, I don't say break the rules, but I like to ride very close to the line, perhaps once or twice stray. That's why they have lane departure warning in Nick's life. And, uh, and I asked at the super launch which was in uh, virginia at summer point race park if i could take the vehicle off to a corner and uh do a like a, a spirited start i think those are the words i use a spirited start and so uh, we had a film crew and toyota graciously provided for us so we went out there and i said i just like to smoke the tires a bit as i start and he went oh, are you gonna do a burnout i said well yeah we can do it, but you know, spirited start is how I'd like to title it, just in case there's any confusion. So we chose somewhere which was away from prying eyes, behind a big building. I think I've done a um, the, the same racetrack was host to the Hellcat Charger launch, and we did the same thing, much more with the cooperation of Dodge at that point because Dodge really wanted us to do a burnout, but. Like, I knew that we could do a burnout in this car. I'd chop the tires a few times, rear-wheel drive. 
So we took it to this sort of back area, set the film crew up. I gave my cell phone to this uh, the camera guy, assistant, the camera guy. Said, just catch it on the cell phone as well as filming it. Did the burnout, I will tell you, surprisingly easy to burn out. Much easier than, than a Hellcat. Was much easier than Hellcat. Much easier to control. Hellcat has a lot of power. This was 335 horsepower. Much easier to get, was it 65? I can't remember now. Much easier to control. Uh, where a Hellcat 707 is hard to control. You could easily lose it. And did a, did a, what I thought was a little burnout. Uh, post. It was a nice little burnout. Yeah, it was, it was not a Hellcat burnout. No, but it, it was a nice little burnout. Probably like 40 feet. Um, the funny thing is there's a second video that I, I did there that I had the camera guy come over to the window. There was smoke probably about a minute and a half, 90 seconds after. There's still smoke pouring out of the door handles inside the car, which was, to me, it was way better than the burnout. It was quite hilarious. So they channeled the smoke as well as the sound of the engine into the cabin. <laughs> yeah, they totally did. Uh, so, you know, there I didn't post anything that day. I waited until the evening. And then the evening, I, I posted the picture. I posted the uh, the video. And stupidly did not watermark it. Did not watermark it. Everybody stole it. it. I would say about 40 to 50 websites stole it. Just completely lifted it off, gave me no credit, started reposting it. Um, and I was like, you know, whatever. Like, it's my own fault. And it's not like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to drive huge amounts more traffic to, to the website. But you're probably now on Toyota's Christmas card list. Yeah, well, I, I better be on the Christmas card list because then what happened was I got a phone call from the office on the West Coast that said, have you seen Motor Trend? And I was like, why? It said, because your burnout is all over Motor Trend. Like, they are running. Have you seen Autoblog? It's all over Autoblog. I'm like... Oh, God, I should have watermarked it, whatever. And I went to, they sent me all these links, and I clicked on the link, and God bless Murder Trend. They redirected everybody to my Instagram account and, and basically said, there's, there's our auto experts Instagram account. This is, and they called it, like, everybody had these great things. I, I, they saved me from, like, having a, a teary night because they actually gave me credit. So you're up to 12 Instagram followers yeah. now. I think 13 if you count my mum's two accounts. But uh, no, it, it it was it was amazing. So one website had like 68,000 likes on the picture, on the burnout within four hours. Like it's one of those things you wish you were getting like 10 cents a time because it was really great. So can you do that same burnout in a Z4? Uh, you know, I tried in a Z4 and we didn't have a good place to do it. So I didn't try hard, but I, I suspect you could, but they, again, the Z4 was only the four cylinder. If you, uh, if you want to see that burnout, you can go to our auto expert Instagram account and just, just page through it or, you know, motor trend or pretty much anywhere else. If there's a red Supra burning out somewhere on social media, it's probably me. Probably me. You'll see see lots of those videos. Um, a lot of fun. So new Supra going on sale uh, imminently. It's uh, going to be about $50,000. If you want the launch edition, about $55,000. Um, and and I'll, I'll say it's a car that I would really consider buying. Really consider buying.
I don't know if I have $50,000 and if I can afford $50,000 for a new car, but I really would. All right, coming up on the show, we're going to be joined by Perry Stern. We're going to talk about the Northwest Automotive Press Association Mud Fest. That's where we took a bunch of cars, got them really dirty and did them things you'll never do if you buy an SUV. Keep listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Start your engines and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. Exciting show uh, this week, talking about a lot of the new cars, trucks, and SUVs that are on the market. So recently, uh, Northwest Automotive Press Association had their Mudfest event. We talk about it every year on this show. Uh, just to give you a recap, if you're not familiar with the event, this is where journalists from all over the Northwest and some as far afield as Canada or even Arizona, come to test the latest cars, uh, SUVs and trucks on on road and off road to see what you should be buying in your fleet of vehicles uh, for the next year or so and give you our true and honest opinion. And then there are winners for these. Uh, John Vincent still with us from the Northwest Automotive Press Association. He is the president, but he's also uh, with U- U.S. News and World Report. And joining us on the phone is our pal Perry Stern, who is the treasurer of Nawapa and also, and his secondary job is to write uh, articles for various uh, places, including MSN Autos. Uh, so first of all, Perry, let me ask you, uh, this was the 25th Mudfest in a row. How many have you been to? Have you, or have you given up counting? I I think it's been enough that I can't remember. Uh, I would say I've been to at least 10 to 12 of them, so at least half, if not more. John, how many have you been to? 23. 23. I think I'm like the baby amongst you. I think I've been to like eight, maybe seven, maybe as many as that. Uh, So it's a great event, uh, 25 years. Um, Perry, would you say that this was an event worthy of the 25th year? I would say it went very well. I think if we'd had a little more mud, uh, then it would have been a proper 25th anniversary mud fest. This was more of a dirt fest. Uh, but besides that, we had you know a splendid collection of cars, a good group of people to drive them, and so I would say that this you know was a proper representation of what mud fest is all about. You know, being a real journalist, if it had been like pouring with rain and uh, like 34 degrees, you'd probably be complaining as well. So you know, just well, being a real journalist, I'd be <laughs> complaining either way. So. Right. Uh, I I have I do remember some mud fest where we've stood out in a field freezing cold, and then I think the following year we decided it was a good idea to give gifts to all the journalists and manufacturers of scarves and hats and and things and and, and coffee mugs, and it was like seventy four. It was like eighty. Yeah, yeah it was like eighty. Yes, yes. So it was a so nice warm. Go on. I was going to say trying to plan events around weather, uh, especially in Pacific Northwest, is not an easy thing to do. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, John, read off the categories uh, for us that, that we were looking at. So there's one, one winner in each category, and then there one is... One winner a and a runner-up in each category, and we have subcompact and compact family vehicles. We have mid- and full-size family vehicles, compact and mid-size luxury SUVs, uh, full-size luxury SUVs, pickup trucks, and extreme capability vehicles. So, Perry, uh, tell me... On the extreme capability, we'll get to the good stuff first. We'll go right in for the kill. <laughs> On the extreme capability vehicles, uh, what caught your eye and what did you think was significant? Um, I would say that the uh, Mercedes G-Class, you know, it is all new this year. It's 
one of the it's one of those vehicles that can go anywhere, even though most people unfortunately don't take it anywhere. Uh, but it can handle any kind of off road you, you throw at it, and so it was it was fun to drive that car, you know, over big rocks and down deep, you know, uh, pitches down into you know uh, mud holes, small floods, small yeah. floods. Uh, so yeah, it's, and it's you know while you're riding it, it's you know it's the utmost in luxury, but. You do pay the price for that. It's not an inexpensive car. And the Kardashians do that all the time, right? <laughs> of course, of course. I like to make the joke about that vehicle. It's probably the most off-roading it's seen as a curb on, on Rod- Rodeo Drive. That's about as, as crazy as it gets. John, uh, pickup trucks, what caught your eye? Uh, the new Wrangler Rubicon, or excuse me, the new Jeep Rubicon. <laughs> um, uh, You're not the first Rubicon. person to make that mistake, by the way. Gladiator Rubicon. It's... It, well, what's important about it is it's more than just a Wrangler pickup. They actually went back to the drawing board and added some length to the car. They didn't just slap a bed on it. Um, it's really functional. It does. It did a good job. Um, and I think that, in my, I personally say, I think they're nervous about that vehicle's sales. I don't think they're going to have any problems. So full-size luxury, uh, the, the vehicle that I thought was probably the best was the X7. I enjoyed that so much. I didn't expect be We've had BMW at a bunch of events before. They be, they're great, like, mom cars. They're great, uh, luxury, sort of very pedestrian-esque vehicles. But, boy, this they really turned all the stops out for the X7. I think that the, the X7 is really worth It's going to be a challenger to Range Rover, a big challenger to Range Rovers. Uh, there'll be a lot of people. Is, I mean, it's, it's gorgeous inside. It's... Uh you know, extremely comfortable to drive. And, you know, it's a vehicle that you wouldn't expect. You know, again, it's another one that's never going to go off-road, but it was perfectly capable off-road. It was comfortable. Uh, it could handle the bumps without, you know, jarring you inside. It's, uh, they did a great job with it. I agree. I think the, my favorite part about it is the fact that the door, the armrests on the door are heated. It's so opulent. It's like, you know, you're going to lean on the uh, the door armrest. You might as well be heated. I want my elbow to get cold when I'm driving around. Uh, the center armrest is heated as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the uh, compact uh, luxury, uh, Perry. What, did you, what caught your eye in the compact luxury segment? Well, I, I seem to be continuing with Mercedes, but I really did like the GLE. Uh, this is brand new from Mercedes. It's the first time I'd been in it. And they've taken their kind of luxury, you know, midsize SUV and given it proper off-road capability. And, of course, it's a big party trick that we were playing with in the parking lot is it has the ability to get itself out of a sand pit. So if it has no traction on the wheels, typically, you know, in the olden days, you would go and wiggle, you know, uh, move the car back and forth on the suspension to try and get it to bounce out. In the Mercedes, you push a button, and it bounces for you. It looks like it should be, you know, driving down the street, you know, as a lowrider. My only down the street. My only criticism to that is it when you hit that uh, the the button, the jumping button to get it out of sync. It doesn't come automatically with rap button. music. It should have rap music on it because it feels like it should be doing that, playing it while it jumps up and down. I want to see that system in a sprinter van. <laughs> Say it again, Perry. Uh, disco ball. You need a disco ball. Oh, yeah, disco ball. All right. I'm showing our age here. I get it. Uh, and the midsize uh, family SUVs, uh, John, the mid and full. Yeah, the uh, new, all-new Kia Telluride just crushed the competition in that uh, category with good reason. That is a great vehicle. You know, it's the typical three-row family SUV, but it's really, really capable when the pavement ends. It's surprisingly so. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh, they did a great job on for the price. I think the one that we had at Mudfest was priced at forty three thousand dollars, if I remember rightly, something pretty close to it. And I looked at that and I went. Wow, that's a lot of car for very little money. And I had that. Uh, I actually drove it home from the event and had it for a week. And it is a car that I could live with every day. Yeah, I think I think they did an amazing job. And then the the subcompact uh, and compact family; those were the vehicles which I think uh, there's a lot of people buying vehicles in that class. One of the ones that really caught my eye. And you know, I, this vehicle's been around for a while, but the Jeep Rubicon caught my eye um, in that category. And I think the Jeep Rubicon was Renegade Rubicon, Re, or Renegade. Renegade I'm sorry, Renegade Trailhawk. Tra- Re, yeah, Renegade. Did I see Rubicon? A Renegade Trailhawk, the little Jeep. Uh, it, it's the same. Um, a lot of the same guts as the Fiat 500X. They share a lot of stuff in that vehicle, but that vehicle is outstanding for the price and it's really good and so that's caught my eye so um perry you know let's talk about uh the course so walk us through uh, how you tested each vehicle so we had two days of testing uh we do on-road testing as well as off-road testing and the idea is to uh replicate what consumers are going to run into so we do a slalom, which can replicate, you know, what an emergency situation would be where you have to swerve around a vehicle uh, or swerve around an object in the road. We park the vehicles and see how the cameras work. Uh, and cameras are all not created equal. Uh, there's some cameras that look like you're, you've got a helicopter view from above. It's pretty amazing. And then we take the cars out on the go-kart track at the Ridge, which is the location where we did this event. Uh, they have a very technical go-kart track that's wide enough for these vehicles. And it's a place where you can kind of push the vehicle a bit without being out on public roads and without getting into much trouble. Uh, but it really gives you an idea of what the vehicle feels like on the road. And then the next day, we have a couple different off-road courses. Uh, one is for the extreme, and there's only certain vehicles that can go into extreme. And then the other one uh, is basically uh, for everybody to do. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about who won and why they won and how many points they had. That's our Auto Expert continues with the Mudfest winners. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. If you just uh, spent some time joining us, we are talking about the Northwest Automotive Press Association's Mudfest, where uh, all the members of the journalists who are in the Northwest area uh, take all these SUVs and trucks out onto the test track and really get them dirty and or in this case dusty uh this year because it was nice and sunny and also put them through their paces and there are winners so we've talked about the categories and what impressed us the most i think you might see some correlation between the winners and what impressed us so much uh john you did the tabulations for this how uh, you know overall how close was this year this year was really close and this year was the most diverse group of vehicles we've ever had in this comp in this competition everything from a hyundai kona to a uh, Ram Power Wagon. Yeah, there was a lot of different vehicles. Uh, Perry, did you, you know, you obviously have seen the, the winner's list, and we'll go through that in a second. Did you agree that everybody that won would be something that you think was worthy of winning, or did you have any objections? Actually, actually this matched my voting pretty closely. So I don't think any of the winners don't belong in the spot that they earned. That's interesting because usually 
um, I can the best I can do what I vote for comes second. <laughs> it's usually, but this year I think uh, there's like four out of the six places were actually what I voted for. So I think it must have been pretty unanimous. John, why don't you walk us through uh, the winners and uh, and the spread? Because there was a runner-up as well. Okay. Uh, subcompact and compact family utility vehicles, the 2019 Subaru Forester Sport was the winner. Um, and the runner-up was the 2019 Jeep Renegade tra- Trackhawk. Trailhawk. Yeah. Trailhawk. Trailhawk. Let's not start any rumors here. Yeah, we're having all these trouble <laughs> with it. Yeah, and with the Jeep names as well. Uh, pretty obvious vehicle. I mean, it's pretty obvious to win. I mean, it's especially in the Northwest. I mean, that is the perfect, you know, starter SUV for the for, for the Northwest. All right, and number two in the mid and full size families, what took away the title? The title was the Kia Telluride, an all new Kia Telluride. Yeah, it would have been crazy if that didn't win because that vehicle for the money, forty three thousand dollars, you're getting some things you get in luxury vehicles. But the surprise was the runner-up, oh. which was the 2019 Toyota 4Runner TRD Pro. Yeah. 4Runner being probably the oldest vehicle in the competition. Yeah, 50, was it about 15 years old or something? Maybe it's, it's not that old. Yeah, it's not that, not far off. 12, 15 years old, something like that, since it's been overhauled. Yeah, and product cycle, um, it's way old compared to everybody else. All right. It's comp- really one of the last few truck as truck-based SUVs on the road. Right, and still a bunch of fun. I, I'm dry. I have a Tacoma right now that I'm test driving, and and it's the sort of same uh, makeup as that vehicle, and it's just still a great, great vehicle. Perry, how would you describe the color of that Forerunner? <laughs> Did you hear that, Perry? John asked you what you thought about the color of that Forerunner. It, it was very, very blue. Painfully blue. What would we call it? Like, uh, it, it's sort of a blue that doesn't appear in nature. Have you ever seen those uh, chroma key screens that they use in TV and the movies? They have a green and then a blue color. It always reminds me of that blue chroma key color, the sort of thing that doesn't appear anywhere in nature. Maybe you, you shoot it with the right camera, you could, it would disappear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the color was quite painful. Uh, the compact and midsize luxury was won by... Mercedes-Benz GLE 450, 4Matic. Yeah, that, no surprise there, right, Perry? No, it's, you know, there's no other car that can bounce around like that. <laughs> the runner-up was a little bit surprising to me, though. Not to me. Really? The, the Acura did a great job with the new RDX, and it deserved that win. I think it did. The only, the, uh, there's only one thing, maybe two things, apart from the transmission would be one, but the push-button transmission. But the other thing that bugs me about that vehicle is the... Um, the the what do you call it? The interactive screen, the infotainment, infotainment uh, push push thing that doesn't touch work. Pad. Touchpad that doesn't work. It t- it works for me. It Does takes it? a little time to learn, but it works. So normally you put your finger on these things and an icon appears on the screen or a, a pointer, and then you scoot your finger around to whatever you want to point to, and then you push down. In this one, you actually have to, the screen is resembled by a piece of square plastic, and you have to push down on the screen where you want to click. And that drives me nuts, because I'm used to putting my finger down and sliding it. Nick has never used an iPad. <laughs> we just need knobs and buttons back. <laughs> I vote for that. I vote for steam power. Uh, the yeah. full-size luxury vehicle was... Oh, uh, yeah, we did run them up. Full-size luxury vehicle was won by... 2019 BMW X7. And the runner-up, which was the only other car in the category... Mercedes G550. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, pickup truck was won by... Jeep Gladiator Rubicon. And the runner-up... The massive 2019 Ram 2500 Power Wagon. How close was the split between those? It was pretty close. So one or two votes could have gone either way. A few votes. 
Um, and then finally, the uh, extreme capability of the year was won by also the Jeep Rubicon, Jeep Gladiator Rubicon. And then the overall vehicle was won by the, the Gladiator <laughs> Rubicon. So it took away three <laughs> trophies. It did. Wow. And you didn't have to vote for your overall winner um, the same as you did for your uh, um, same as you did for each category, right? It could it, you could have voted for something that you didn't vote for in a category as the overall winner. Uh, the, what was it? So the runner up was uh, the runner up was the Telluride. Yeah, and I. I would very different vehicles. I think that could have gone either way. It, I think that could have gone either way. It was interesting because we scored on both day one and day two, and on the on-road day, the uh, Telluride would have won overall. Yeah, it, w it was a good vehicle. All right, Perry. Well, uh, overall, I think a, a good job with uh, with Mudfest. Uh, now that vehicle takes away the crown. The uh, trophies will be avoided uh, avoided awarded this summer uh, to the to to the winners uh, in a ceremony in September. And uh, then again, we'll do it all again next year, finding out. So if you want to uh, know more, you can just uh, go to the Northwest Automotive Press Association's website. But it's a .org. Don't forget, it's noapa.org. Um, you can. See see more there uh, coming up we're going to talk about uh, RV Wi-Fi and Perry will join us again later on in the show to talk about Hennessy performance he was lucky enough to play with some Hennessy's all right that's all coming up on our auto expert stand by more of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. If you've been uh, listening to the show recently, you know I've started this new fascination with uh, RVs and going RVing. Um, I'm, I'm a little scared, but uh, I've been getting into it. We've had a bunch of people on to talk about RV stuff. Uh, and one of the products that I came across uh, was kind of interesting is this uh, thing called Roadlink uh, from a company called Togo. Um, and what, what this does, well, why should I explain it to you when we have um, an expert who's going to come on and talk about it? Uh, joining us on the phone is Steve Heilman from uh, Togo. He's the vice president of marketing. Steve, thanks for taking some of your uh, Sunday out to talk to us so you have come up with a solution so all those people who got their kids into an rv and then realized that this might not have been the best idea because they took all their devices away you found a way to keep them connected yeah that, that's true and that's a, a great use case uh there is to, to keep the kids connected um we also uh obviously see the, the use case of those of us who who work and travel um and, uh, it, you know, staying connected on the roads, um, it's, uh, it's become a, a trend, and uh, we've, we've provided solutions specifically for our viewers. So tell me how it works, because, you know, there are cars that come with um, Wi-Fi in them, uh, but I've never heard of an RV coming with Wi-Fi. So you, you've developed a, a, a system that uses RVing, but why couldn't I just go to AT&T or go to someone else and buy a hotspot? Yeah, you, you can. The the big challenge today is, um, you know, where do we like to RV? Well, we like to RV in places that are, you know, sort of further away from the population. Um, that tends to be where we, we, we travel. Um, and uh, that those are the places where it's harder to get signal. Um, and um, there are lots of devices like, like you know, hotspots from AT&T or Verizon or whoever and, and um, have limitations and restricted data plans and what we did was we worked with AT&T, uh, um, uh, 
uh, hardware manufacturer to create this this rooftop antenna that not only gets you 4G LTE data um, to power Wi-Fi inside the vehicle, but also acts as a Wi-Fi booster. So if you happen to be in a campground that has decent Wi-Fi or you're close enough to McDonald's or Walmart or something to hijack their Wi-Fi, you can actually, you know, get that boosted signal and reproject it back inside your vehicle. So it gives you a couple of options to to get an antenna up high on top of your vehicle, um, you know, above some obstacles and, uh, you know, boost that signal into the vehicle for, for you and your family. So it's so much more than a Wi-Fi provider as well, because I mean, I, I always have these visions in my head of the kids going, we'd like to go to Starbucks for lunch because they have Wi-Fi when you're on the road, because <laughs> it's the only way they could uh, do their Snapchat as well. Wasn't the idea originally to get away from all this stuff when people went RVing and then probably worked out it was a bad idea to cut their kids off from the from the iPad? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, KOA, which is Campgrounds of America, put out a big research study recently, and uh, they they proved that uh, yeah, we we Americans want to disconnect. We say we want to disconnect and get out and, and you know sort of reconnect with nature, and that's so very true. But there are still some things that allow us, enable us to do more of that if we have connectivity, right? So their their research showed that. Uh, we actually stay out camping on average six days longer if we have good connectivity. Um, it enables us to log in, pay a bill, check in on work, do the things that sort of keep the office and the house and the li- normal life running so that you can stay out longer with the kids, with the family. Um, and as you're alluding, like there's, there's nothing that, that quiets the kids down more than um, uh, Netflix or uh, access Snapchat. So. I'm thinking, so there's, I've got now a million questions, but I'm thinking that uh, this might be a good reason just to get an RV and get rid of my house and I could just drive around the country. If I, if I can be connected, it'll probably save me a lot of money. Are you, is this good enough quality to make phone calls? I was just, when I usually go to Europe, I use Wi-Fi to make my phone calls. So is it good enough quality to make a phone call with, uh, with this Wi-Fi or not? It is. Obviously, it's going to depend on the quality of the signal. Um, and um, you can get a little further away from a quality you know, signal um, with a, a big high-gain antenna mounted on the roof of the RV. Um, but um, you still have to have access to that signal. So it's all, all relative. Um, and there are going to be places where, where you're going to have you know, have three, four bars and, and really strong signal. And um, there are going to be places when you're, um, you struggle to, to get some, you know, sort of 3G speed. Um, it, it's all it's all dependent upon the, the cellular network or uh, available uh, local Wi-Fi. I almost, I almost feel like I want to plan my RV trip via the good Wi-Fi. I noticed a few things <laughs> by reading your, uh, by reading your press release. Uh, this works while you're moving as well. It does. So, um, you know, that gives you an option to, um, you know, it, it projects far enough that if you're in a motorhome, obviously it's, you know, projected inside the vehicle. Um, or I think uh, what did uh, Mike wanted to call it an engine home. Um, <laughs> I think that was the, the more correct definition of that. But the it also works in, the, in a travel trailer. So if you leave, leave it powered up in a travel trailer and you're towing it in your, you know, big F-150, um, you know, you can, the kids have kind of access to that, um, you know, while they're sitting in the back of the truck. Um, if your truck doesn't have Wi-Fi or if you need a little bit more bandwidth. I noticed it says it also works 50 feet away from the unit. So you could, you could, you know, technically resell it to the rest of the campground. 
Yeah, I'm not sure AT&T would be too ecstatic about that. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm sure uh, I know my son would probably peddle off his uh, Wi-Fi passcode to, <laughs> to a neighbor kid. That's a valid point. I just see this as a whole problem. So what does this cost? Uh, well, there, the hardware kit itself is $399. And then the data plans through AT&T are specific to uh, Togo users and RVers. Um, and the unlimited data plan from, our, um, from AT&T um, for this is $360 a year. Um, so it's an annual plan. You pay once and you get serv- unlimited service for the whole year. Um, so that breaks down to just 30 bucks a month. Uh, divide that by 12 which is a pretty incredible price for them. Well, can I get plan. one of the? I want one of these in my home now. I mean, maybe I could stick one in the RV and then just power the rest of the house by it. <laughs> that 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 could be an option. We do require you to uh, attach to an RV to to make it work. You got to validate your your VIN number and whatnot. I'm um, just telling you, it's um, significantly cheaper than what I pay for Wi-Fi right now. <laughs> I think we all feel that pain pain a little bit on our uh, unlimited data plans. Um, there's also, uh, for seasonal RVers, there's also a, a um, $25 plan, which gets you five gigs of, of data a month. Um, so we've got a couple of plans to, to you know wrap around the, the different lifestyles uh, for RVers. All right, I, I'm now really seriously considering moving into an RV rather than my house. There's, there, there cannot be a downside to this, except I guess I... Uh, I I'd probably have to pay taxes, and in some state, I don't want to pay taxes, and when I'd spend more money, more time, there's going to be a downside to taxes living in an RV. I'm sure. I'm sure they get me somehow. Uh, you just you just have to move your residence to a to a state without income tax, and you, you should be good to go. Oh, that's so. a, oh, you're yeah. not helping my case, by the way, of moving <laughs> out of my house into an RV. Uh, well, Steve, last last weekend, I did a, a podcast interview with folks who were had just moved into their RV and were were doing their podcast from the road uh, for the next six months. So it, it is it's a real thing. Yeah, interesting, Steve. Uh, how can we find out more? Uh, you can go to runswithtogo dot com um, um, or runswithtogo.com dot com slash roadlink, uh, and uh, all the details are there. All right. Well, look forward to it. Thanks for spending some time with us today. I uh, I keep thinking that maybe it's not such a good idea to uh, buy myself a an RV, and you know, then I keep coming across stuff like this, like three hundred bucks a year for, or three hundred sixty bucks a year, thirty bucks a month for um, for internet. That doesn't sound bad. That's considerably cheaper than I I think we've been paying. I you know I pay now probably about uh, sixty bucks a month. Sixty bucks a month. <laughs> I'm paying double that. Uh, that's great as long as the data speeds would be enough to transfer all my uh, radio station files back and forth. I could just do the show from being on the road. Uh, we are talking about. Uh, we've been talking about the Northwest Automotive Press Association. Um, Mudfest Awards, uh, John. So this next year will be 26. Will anything change for the 26th year, or do you have you found a winning formula? Well, we've had a winning formula, but we're always uh, changing it, and there are always going to be new vehicles. I mean, there are a host of new or uh, SUVs coming out this year. Um, you know, we've seen some of them on auto shows. Uh, I have noticed that the three, four biggest new electric cars that have come out in the last year have all been uh, SUVs. Kia, uh, Hyundai Kona electric, 
uh, EQC from Mercedes-Benz, the e-tron e e and the Jaguar I-Pace. Well, then there's a Tesla uh, SUV that's uh, uh, another, another Tesla SUV. I don't know who that is. <laughs> the Model Y, you mean? Or Model the, Y. Yeah. So there, there is, uh, and I think if you look back, I mean, most of them are uh, electric SUVs. I just spent uh, some time in Norway where you cannot drive in downtown Oslo unless you have an electric vehicle. They've stopped you. And electric vehicles can go wrong way, uh, wrong way up the one-way street, which is, oh boy, is that scary. Uh, and we have two models coming out from Ford, the, you know, the, the new Lincoln Nautilus and uh, Aviator, uh, new Explorer, all electrified. And then uh, the rumor is that at uh, the LA Auto Show, they are going to announce a brand-new electric vehicle, um, which is going to be their first all-electric SUV for Ford. So that's the interesting was, times. It was, it was it was it was earmarked as the Mach One originally, the Mark One. Uh, depends on how you say it. There might be a time in the future where we have an electric vehicle category at Budfest. Ooh, actually, you probably could do it almost now. Although probably I'm pretty close now. I'm not sure they all could uh, could do the off roading. They could definitely not do the extreme course, but they could probably do the non extreme course. I was uh, that was fairly easy the non extreme course a lot of even cars could have made that I mean, we could have had some some cars in there that were all wheel drive uh, so I mean you know you wouldn't do this in your own vehicle as we said at the nobody's beginning of the show nobody's going to do this in their own vehicle uh, it takes a takes quite a bit of skill to do the extreme course doesn't it yeah, we're nowhere near matching the uh, capabilities of these vehicles. We're testing the ability of the driver. And then you see the bigger the vehicle and the more sort of capable the vehicle, uh, the the easier it is to get around this course. I mean, the power wagon, some of those rocks, the power wagon, you hardly felt going over them. It's kind of interesting. It we pass it enough times, the power wagon would just break the rocks. <laughs> uh, so do, I, do you think... When it comes down to it, that uh, people will take these results and and it helps the public actually buy vehicles by how the journalists test them. I think it does. I think people, even if they're not going to use the capability, they want to know that it's there. There's a, there was quite a few journalists, from, you know, from publications which you'd obviously be very familiar in your household. U.S. News and World Report. Uh, we had uh, guys out there from a lot of uh, big, you know, MSN autos. We had people out there from a lot of big publications. So New York Times. New York Times. You'll start to see those appear, um, those those videos and stories, uh, Amazon. You'll start to see them appear over the next few months. And so talking about the vehicles. In fact, the results are already up on MSN. Oh, are they? They already uh, they they blew me. They got beat me to the punch. Perry has a story up. <laughs> yeah, it it definitely is a a beautiful. Uh, we were on the Union. Uh, it was a Union Canal, which is the Hood Canal. Hood Canal near Union, Washington. Right, Hood Canal, uh, which is a beautiful, beautiful part of the country to 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 live in. Um, it use it has been fairly wet and cold at that time of year, but uh, not this year. We managed to get away with it. All right, still come on the show. Got a bunch more stuff coming your way. We're also going to talk about new electric cars from VW. Uh, That's uh, and some Hennessy performance, which Perry got to do. That's coming up as your radio show and our auto expert continues. 
Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. You know, I used to think that uh, Hennessy performance was just a figment of everybody's imagination because we see lots of really great cars uh, that this supposed Hennessy car company puts out. Uh, but I never actually got to drive one or see one in person. Uh, but Perry uh, Stern got to spend some time uh, with Hennessy. Uh, Perry, was this? Did you really get to sit inside some of their vehicles? I not only sat inside them, I drove them and saw the facility where they build them. So they're real. They're not just a figment of posters which were on my bedroom wall as a kid. No, uh. they actually they actually do exist. Uh, they're building uh, a very large number of vehicles. They have about 18 bays in their in their shop, uh, building, as they like to call it, they make fast cars go faster. So, so tell us a little bit about the company. How did it get started, and and how long have they been doing uh, cool uh, modified vehicles? So, John Hennessy is the founder of the organization of the company, and he's always you know, been into taking cars and making them faster. And he started it back in 1991. He bought a Mitsubishi, th- Mitsubishi 3000 GT VR4. And that's a mouthful. Uh, and basically customized it, added more power, and went on to be very successful in racing uh, Pikes Peak Hill Climb, Bonneville Salt Flats. He hit 177 miles an hour Ooh. in this vehicle that he basically put together himself. Uh but then they went on and built uh, customized Vipers, which is really what got them on the map. Uh, they produced uh, 650-horsepower Vipers. Uh, they built a Ford GT with you know, a twin-turbo engine that put out 1,000 horsepower. Uh, and then they built this, or basically purchased and built this 30,000-square-foot facility uh, that comes with its own drag strip out, parked out and back. Oh, does every car get tested? I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> Did you so so you went to the factory? Yes. So I went to the factory and keep in mind they're they're not building cars from scratch, although they're going to. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh but they're taking vehicles like Camaros, uh Grand Cherokees, Corvettes, Mustangs, and increasing performance. Everything from uh exhaust to putting, you know, engine swaps, uh putting turbos on them. Uh, and they, even, even the Europeans. So, for example, the car that, uh, Hennessy's son-in-law picked me up from my hotel to take me to their facility was a McLaren 720S, which is an incredible car to start with. They had bumped it up to 900 horsepower. I think you left a vehicle out of your list there, the Raptor. I did drive that one too. Uh, the McLaren was cool. The Raptor was a six-wheel drive uh, pickup truck. Whoa! I mean, uh, uh, the you know the, all these modifications, Perry. Do you have to sell your house to actually buy one? It's not that bad. You have to remember, though, you have to either own the vehicle already or buy the vehicle. So you know, the Velociraptor is an extreme case. So this is a vehicle where they take an F-150 Raptor, which is already a pretty impressive vehicle. $100,000-ish. Uh, yeah, exactly. They give it six-wheel drive. They uh, bump they, the horse They give it six wheels six. before they give it six-wheel drive, right? Yes. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh, minor details. So, yes. Perry, Perry, Perry ignore John. He's just being a brat. <laughs> I try to. Uh, it's got dual. It's got dual axles in the back, so technically it's four wheel drive, 
all the time. And then when you shift it into what would normally be four wheel, you get six wheel drive. Uh, it's uh, also been bumped up to 600 horsepower because that's kind of what Hennessy does. The truck looks really cool, and it drives like a normal truck. I mean, you'd expect it to bind as you're going around corners, but it drives like a normal truck. I actually took it out to their uh, their uh, drag strip and got it up to about 100 miles an hour before you kind of had to slam on the brakes because the, once the thing gets going, it's a lot of mass. Uh, but this one will put you back about 300 grand, all told. Uh, but now does that wait wait is 300 grand in price the in the price of the truck included in that because the truck's about a hundred thousand ninety to a hundred thousand dollar truck anyway right it's not quite that much it's more like 50 60 but yes that includes the price of the truck well i guess it's 50 60 depending on how easy you can get one and what sort of extras you want in it right exactly and so but this is a truck you know this isn't something that people are going to go off-roading with all that much this is a truck that you drive up to the valet stand and you blow everybody away uh, because it just looks so extreme. Wait, I'm not giving a valet the keys to my my truck that has 600 horsepower. I I could just imagine they're sitting in with my first cocktail at the bar and hearing. <laughs> there goes yeah, your truck. And it comes into the bar. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So did did you just get to drive that, or did you get to drive pretty much everything they had? Well, I drove the McLaren, the 900 horsepower McLaren, which. Zero to 60, they estimate about two and a half seconds. Uh, it's ridiculous. And the funny thing is with a car like that, and to some extent, I mean, yes, the Raptor with six-wheel drive is going to stand out from everything, but you can make it as subtle as you want or as in-your-face as you want. So the McLaren, granted, a McLaren's going to stand out on its own anyway, but it looked like a stock McLaren. There was nothing different looking about it, uh, except for the fact that they'd taken it up about 200 horsepower from its already extreme performance, uh, and it drove like a regular car. Do they let a lot uh, of journalists... It drove like a regular McLaren. Do they let a lot of journalists in? Because I've, I've never heard of anybody else going getting to go to the Hennessy uh, factory. I think they do let some in. I mean, you can make an appointment and you can work out with them to come visit. Um, but the one you're going to want to wait for, there, you know, I mentioned that they typically custom build or customize cars that have already been created. They are working on their own vehicle, uh, which is called the Venom F5. And this is going to be a over-the-top supercar. They've shown prototypes already at various auto shows. And, in fact, they unveiled at Pebble Beach this year the engine that's going to go in it. Which is a six point, or excuse me, a seven point six liter twin turbo V eight that's going to put out at least sixteen hundred horsepower. Wow! And do and three pound feet of torque, three miles a gallon or something probably. Yeah, like anybody will care. That's like a half dozen Camrys. Something like that, but their goal is three hundred miles an hour, Woo. which is still you know one of those numbers that you know Koenigsegg is shooting for. Uh, others have shot, you know, are going for, but. Hennessy, I'd say, has a good chance based on their past experience. And based on the hope, based on the size of the engine, too. Uh, Perry, where, we can, where can we read about your exploits with Hennessy? Uh, you can see this up on uh, my site, which is autonext.net. I believe that if you look through on our, our auto expert, you'll find a story on the Hennessy, uh, my Hennessy exploits, as you call them, as well. Excellent. Perry Stern, uh, a great contributor to the automotive world, uh, and we are green with envy about your uh, Hennessy experience. Uh, all right, coming up still on the show, a lot more stuff. Stand by. Here we go. 
More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. Uh, you know, people often ask me to help them, and I don't know, John Vincent is here from US News and World Report. Uh, they ask me to help them buy a car. The usual thing for you, John? <laughs> all the time. All the time. So, uh, first of all, uh, perhaps you can make some notes. Go grab a pencil and a piece of paper. Make some notes. When you ask me what's a good car, give me at least a couple of barriers. Like, yeah, the Hennessy's great if you've got $300,000. <laughs> If you're going to ask me what's a good car, you got to give me, uh, you know, under $30,000. Sedan, SUV, midsize. Give, at least give me some parameters. And don't tell me what you want. Tell me what you need. Right. So I had somebody that called me recently and they said, in your opinion, and this person is a famous luggage repair guy, in your, in your opinion, what, you know, what's the best truck? So I said to this guy, well, you know, I mean, I, I've, first of all, do you need diesel? Do you need gas? Are you looking, talking about a 2500 size, a heavy duty? You're talking about light trucks, you know, small truck. What are you talking about? I mean, there's like three different categories for most people. There is, uh, there's only one luxury truck manufacturer technically in the U.S. I mean, just give me some ideas about what you want. I ran into them on the street the other day. I said, did you, did you go for what you wanted? He said, yeah, we bought a Prius. <laughs> I'm like, I have this 25-minute conversation with this, with this guy, and he, uh, he ends up buying a Prius. Okay, so here's another do not do. Don't give me a call. Ask me what I think about a certain car. Let me riff on that car for about two minutes or so and tell you, you know, it's okay, but there are much, much better versions out there, much, much better models out there. And then say... You know, George is, say, is shaking his head when you say that. I go, who's George? He goes, he's the salesman. We have him on the speakerphone. <laughs> Some real, really called you from the, from the office of a dealer. They called me from the office of a dealership. Really? Uh, I, I would always be 100% honest with you. If you come to me with a car choice, I will tell you. Uh, there, you, you also have to separate both sides of your brain, left brain and right brain. There are emotional purchases and there are advanced, literary, technically correct purchases for those people who like to make unemotional purchases. And uh, you have to separate the two. If you're going to make an emotional purchase, it's going to be a lot of money. And it's going to be highly exhilarating. If you're going to make a non-emotional purchase, it's going to be very reliable, very safe, uh, cost-worthy, and um, sometimes uninspirational. But ultimately, you have to make the separation. Are you buying something because it's got the name badge on it and because your heart sings when you put your foot on the gas? Or are you buying something because you know you want it to last the next 20 years? Those are two separations. And when you come to us, any automotive journalist, and ask, what do you think about this car? Our first question is going to be, did you just buy one? <laughs> yeah. Because I think we have all gotten that question, torn the car apart, right. and then have them say, I just bought one. Right. Uh, my, my interesting, if I look at my YouTube channel, a lot of the comments on my YouTube channel are, I love this car, I just purchase it. And then there'll be an addendum, things down. 
you didn't mention that when you reviewed this vehicle five years ago that it had a starter recall. Well, it didn't five years ago <laughs> when I reviewed it. So you also got to understand that the, the 1500 YouTube videos that I have up, uh, they are not, they, they were done at the time the car was new. I did not know that Takata would be recalling their airbags uh, 10 years ago when I started review vehicles. Another uh, piece of advice is there's some really good information on vehicle user forums and every vehicle has a forum out there online somewhere about from, from, you, from buyers. Those are all of the people that want to complain about their vehicle. If you read those reviews, you will never buy that vehicle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I also... Uh, um, a good question to ask me about something is uh, when I ask my veterinarian, so we go in there and the veterinarian comes up with a bunch of stuff. I said, what would you do if this was your dog? And that's a really good question. So, so because she, she will always tell me the truth. Like I would, well, you know, if it was my dog, I'd be doing this, this and this. So because, the, you know, the veterinarian always wants to err on the side of caution and do a whole bunch of tests. However, if you say, would uh, Nick, would you spend your money on this car? It's a really good indication of whether I, whether you should buy it or not. Would I spend my money on it? You know, probably not. There are other things in this category that are maybe more valuable. And Nick, what would you spend your own money on right now? Uh, I have two vehicles that I am thinking really seriously about. The Supra, the new Toyota Supra, and the Kia Telluride. The two vehicles I am seriously considering buying. Do I need one? No. Should I buy one? No. Do I want one? Yes. Those are, the, those are the simple questions. What about you, John? What are you thinking about spending your money on? Well, actually, I have a 10-year-old Acura RDX right now that is up for replacement, and I'm looking at the new Honda Passport, Uh huh. and I'm looking at yep. the new RDX. Yep. I'm looking at the Telluride. Yep. Looking at Volkswagen Atlas. Yep. And uh, Subaru Ascent. I think Subaru Ascent is great. Atlas is great. Um, I wouldn't have any... In fact, all those cars, I wouldn't have uh, any problem in buying them. Although, I think the... Uh, I did a comparison recently of the Atlas versus Telluride versus um, Ascent. And each of those are very slightly different depending on lifestyle. For instance, if you have kids that are in car seats and you have three kids that are in car seats, there's only one vehicle that you should buy out of those three, and that's the Atlas. Because it's the only one that you can fold all the rows, the second row forward, and still get into the third row when all three car seats are attached in the center. That's the only one that does it. So there are some very specific things in those vehicles that you should buy. If you definitely want, if you want an all-wheel drive system, and you like to do a little bit of spirited driving, that uh, the Ascent is definitely the car that has the best all-wheel drive system. Um, and it also has the boxer engine, which is a low center of gravity, which means the vehicle will not roll an awful lot if you do some spirited driving. But it does have a four-cylinder, so you, you have to remember that too. But that four-cylinder, it can tow an Airstream with yep. that four-cylinder. Yep. So there's some very specific things on there. I still am very attracted to the Telluride. Never thought I would say that. But there is the Hyundai version of that car, the Palisade that comes out this summer. So Soon, in the, in, yep. Yeah, in the next uh, couple months. So you might want to wait if you're thinking about buying one until that comes out. And then, and then is there a fairly good chance that I'll just toss out that list and buy an Audi SQ5? <laughs> Your wife's going to let you do that? 
my wife might be driving it. Oh, uh, oh, what, what, what does that mean? You're going to be driving the minivan? No. <laughs> That's a, that, yeah, you, you, I'm just saying, just saying, like, I've tried that trick too, John. Yeah, I've tried I'm, that saying that to my spouse several times. It's like, well, you know, you, you'd, be, you'd be driving it. Then they're like, hey, when do I get to drive the, the really sporty cool car? And just so you know, our minivan rocks. No, it, it does. Uh, there is no complaints there. The uh, the embedded vacuum is amazing in that minivan. But do you honestly think that you guys will be sharing those vehicles equally? <laughs> just say uh, no. you, you might ask you if I, I don't. I don't know if that's going to happen. To be honest with you, when you've got a sporty SUV sitting in your driveway, or you've got a minivan, it's really hard sometimes to take the minivan. Even though it rocks, it's hard to take the minivan. Yeah, and my, my lovely wife threw a curveball at me yesterday by saying, do we really need to buy another car that takes premium gas? Yeah, let's think about that. What car do you would you own that doesn't take premium gas? Honda Passport. The Passport. That's probably a good choice. Uh, that I was very impressed with that vehicle. Even though it's slightly bigger than things like the RAV4, I think the Honda, Honda Passport is uh, is an excellent piece of machinery. Uh, oh, boy, car choices. You know what? Shopping for a car is the best thing to do. Buying one is a terrible idea because when you buy a new vehicle, you can no longer shop for a new vehicle. And that's always been my problem. I enjoy shopping way more than I do actually owning a new vehicle. Deciding what I'm going to buy is by far the much more exciting uh, pathway to take. Coming up, Anton Wallman's going to be here. We're going to talk about uh, electric cars. We're going to talk about new VW Lots of stuff. That's as the show continues. More auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. So, you know, here's the interesting thing. Uh, I have occasionally uh, vehicles delivered to my house via a semi-truck. Today was one of those days, semi-truck coming through my neighborhood, and the guy said to me, uh, what do you think of them? Oh, first of all, he said, uh, you said you had to have the car delivered uh, before your radio show. So I, I looked you up online, and, uh, and I need to ask you a bunch of questions. What do you think of them? They're Teslas. <laughs> I was like, well, here's the deal. I think that the technology in them is far advanced. It's interesting that the Consumer Reports listed uh, the, the Tesla infotainment system as as one of the best. But uh, by the way, John Vincent's still with us from U.S. News and World Report. Uh, uh, I guess we should make sure that if we're going to talk about Teslas, we should bring in our, uh, our guest, Anton Wallman, because uh, Anton joins us every week to talk about the latest innovations in, in electric cars. Anton, when someone says to me, what do you think about Tesla, how would you answer that question? Well, uh, Nick, that's as loaded one as a uh, bomber <laughs> in World War II, because you can, you, can, you can advocate on about 15 sides of that equation, depending on... Uh, where you're coming from and where you're going and who the person is. So, uh, you know, you really have to figure out, you know, what your tolerance as a buyer is going to be for something called reliability. Because if you have a very low tolerance for 
say, a big screen going out that controls everything in the automobile, then maybe you should consider something that uh, you have a higher degree of confidence that's actually going to work all the time. And if you have other concerns about more basic forms of technology, such as how about the doors opening and closing every time and that the door handles do not freeze when temperatures start falling below 30 or so degrees and... And how about things like uh, the uh, glass roof or the trunk not leaking water into the automobile? You know, it's a little bit like buying a very exotic car, right? When you're buying a, a Lamborghini or a McLaren, for all of those of you who make that your uh, annual habit, you'll probably recognize that when you're buying a very exotic car, you are going to have to tolerate things that the average purchaser of a Toyota Corolla or a Honda Civic never have to think about, let alone want to think about. So I think that's probably the best way to start <laughs> framing the issue. So I, you know, would maybe just turn and walk away rather than answer any questions? Because well, a lot of people, you know, you know, people buy cars for different reasons. The famous former CEO of one of the largest automakers in the world used to tell us, as you may recall, that buying an automobile is a little bit like somewhere between buying a refrigerator and buying a puppy. You know, one on the one hand, it's a. On the, on the one hand, it's a, an entirely rational decision. You're buying a square piece of metal that just needs to work. On the other hand, uh, it's a purely emotional decision. Some people find it to be a very emotional decision to floor the automobile and get from zero to sixty in below three seconds, and that's why people buy a McLaren or they buy maybe a Tesla or maybe a Porsche 911 Turbo S. Uh, other people, they just want to make sure that the car starts in the morning and takes them from point A to point B reliably. They do not want to see a, a, you know, a service center for the, to save their life. And if they do, it needs to be a quick, painless, and most expensively, and most importantly, an inexpensive, uh, proposition if they ever should, uh, come to pass, right? If they ever have to bring it in for something. And those are very different motivations. So, what motivates one buyer to be tolerant of uh, lack of reliability may not be all that important for uh, another quite more exotic person. The difficulty was that uh, that a lot of times people ask me, what do you think about Tesla? And they then they answer the question before my mouth even gets open because they'll, they'll tell me what they yeah. think about Tesla. And, and quite often, I'll do, you just have to let them go. Uh, because well, here's the thing, right? I mean, Tesla's done a few interesting things. I mean, first of all, I think the, they've, they've designed a couple of their cars very, very well. They have a, a former ex-Mazda designer that I think has done a terrific job in coming up with a very clean shape of an automobile. If you look at a Model S, especially when it came out, but still today it's holding up rather well. I think the Model 3 looks very, very good. I'm one of the few people even like the Model X, even though a lot of other people tend to think that it looks like more like a fat guppy of some sort. Uh, but uh, And then what they've done is that they have had a lot of innovation in the area of software in terms of centralizing the computer architecture in the car, making it remotely updatable for those who think that, that is exciting and coming up with neat little various types of party tricks, right, that other automobiles simply haven't been able uh, to do. So clearly the company is ahead in terms of software development. And if you're one of those who appreciate quick advancements in software features, then clearly Tesla is going to be ahead of the game. I think uh, they've definitely caught our attention in the last few years, uh, and 
I would hasten to add that most car companies who are designing electric cars nowadays probably have every model of Tesla sitting in their R&D development center, uh, pulling them apart, working out how they work, because Tesla definitely got everybody's attention. But some of the new uh, SUVs and some of the new electric, all electric cars, cars, SUVs, trucks are starting to uh, filter into existence or at least get ready to to uh, to take orders and starting to be produced. Um, and yesterday, well, this recently no exemption from VW, uh, they showed their new ID3 and, and then started to take some orders of this vehicle. And even though delivery is quite a long way off, uh, they seem to get an awful lot of deposits for the first 48 hours. That's right. So uh, this uh, new vehicle that uh, Volkswagen just showed here uh, on last Wednesday, uh, May or whatever date it was, May 8th, um, is basically its first from the ground up pure electric car that is, you know, 100% has no bearing whatsoever, even distant cousin from any previous type of uh, a vehicle they've ever had right so this is this is their first truly clean sheet in every which way and it goes into production in november of this year and uh, the first 48 hours they got about a, you know ten thousand deposits on this thing and uh, you know people will start taking delivery around this time next year the uh this is is this the first time that uh, VW have done pre-orders of an electric vehicle because most of them, uh, were you able to pre-order any other uh, electric vehicle from VW? Well, so there are a couple of sort of mini exceptions here, right? We have um, the out e-tron, which just went on sale in Europe March 15, and uh, where deliveries began about a week ago here in the United States. Uh, you know, you, the Audi, you know, you could put a deposit on it last September, but all of these deposits, I don't care whether it's Tesla or Volkswagen, Audi, or anybody else, keep in mind that all of these deposits are always 100% refundable. So when you hear large deposit numbers, honestly, they don't mean all that much because, you know, you can, until you actually sign on the dotted line, hand over the check, and drive off the lot, that deposit, per law here in the United States anyway, is always fully uh, refundable. And it's a similar situation in many countries in Europe. There are only a couple of exceptions. I think actually Norway is the one country where dealers can actually force you to uh, put a deposit and there's like no way to get out of it. All right. Uh, Anton, let's get here in the United States. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about the, uh, the Mercedes-Benz EQC because I got to drive that for the first time and that was a jaw dropper. That's all as our auto expert continues here. More electric cars coming up from around the world. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. We uh, have John Vincent in studio here. He is from U.S. News and World Report on the phone. Anton Wallman, he is our independent analyst and investor. Uh, we're talking about some of the big uh, topics around electric and uh, alternative vehicles. So, Anton, I hear you every week talk about Norway and Sweden and how they are the leaders in 
electric vehicles. They set the pace for the rest of the world. Um, I just got back yesterday from Norway for the first time. And uh, in April, I think they delivered for the first time more electric vehicles. They sold more electric vehicles than they did gasoline vehicles. Uh, the Norwegians really have a uh, bee in their bonnet about about electric vehicles, don't they? That's right. So Norway has the highest percentage of electric car sales of any country in the world by a fairly wide margin. In March, they hit 58% being pure electric cars, and you add another 10 or so percentage points to include plug-in hybrids. So all, all in all there, anything with a plug was about two-thirds of all sales in Norway in the month of uh, March. Now, it cooled things down a little bit in, in April because March was sort of the peak delivery month of the Tesla Model 3, where they jammed in over 5,300 units, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's uh, it was basically a third of the entire car market in Norway. A third of the entire car market was one model alone, the Tesla Model 3 in the month of March. And um, that probably won't repeat itself anytime soon, but they will be selling less expensive versions of the Model 3 in Norway starting here in June. And uh, we should probably see a little bit of an uptick in sales in June from uh, fairly low numbers here in April and May. And uh, with that, we also have, of course, the new premium cars selling very well in Norway, which is a rich country to begin with. But if you look at the combined sales of the Jaguar I-Pace and the Audi e-tron, uh, those are quite high. I mean, they do outsell Tesla Model S and X combined by a factor of six to one, which is an enormous sales discrepancy. And now in just a few short months from now, they'll get the uh, Mercedes EQC, which I believe you have uh, had a chance to press in the flesh here just uh, a few days ago. Yeah, I think next to the e-Golf, it is the best adapted platform. I think it's a, it's a GLC before it gets adapted into the uh, EQC. Uh, but next to the eGolf, it's the best adapted platform for moving from gas to electric that I've ever driven. Um, and they had to add a little bit of uh, safety in there because the engine doesn't have a transmission. And so in case of an accident, they had to put some some, some reinforcements uh, to stop the engine moving or the, the motor, uh, I guess. And this, it always confuses me how you can have motor oil. But you, yet yeah, you have an electric, uh, you know, engine. It, it, it doesn't. And we don't, as human beings, have a clear definition of what an engine and a motor is, even though we have rules. Just um, use power plant. It's yes, much easier. Yes, there you go. The power plant had to have some, uh, some extra supports on there. But boy, that's a great piece of machinery. Um, we, I finally got out of the the Germans that it should it should charge from 10% to 80 or 90% in about 40 minutes on a high capacity charger but and and that of around 200 miles is is no um you know there's no exception to you probably needing more energy than that at any one time if you're going to go 200 miles you can probably use 40 minute break between every 200 mile uh, driving just to recharge your vehicle uh yeah it's and, and norway is interesting because there was a lot of camo vehicles driving around there vehicles that are camouflaged that are being tested right now um, the other thing that made my jaw drop a little bit is next to saudi arabia um norway is the largest oil producer in the world 
um, which is... Well, I think they're the second most largest oil exporter in the world. Yeah, yeah. Not producer. Exporter. But, but definitely they're right up there. And I think the most interesting story, though, that I think the Mercedes exemplifies or will soon exemplify is the impact that eventually pricing is going to have on the field of electric cars. Because so far, the novelty value has been so high that we were, we've been really focused on, first of all, are there going to be, you know, any competitors at all in this market to speak of? And then, you know, we're just trying to fill out the various segments. I mean, the first SUV, you know, the first this or that, the first minivan. And now we're going to get into a point here where we're going to have so many of these various cars on the market that the companies are really going to have to start compete on pricing. And that's where I think the Mercedes enters the market at a critical point in the market, because we're starting to see um, sort of signs of saturation in the market on a variety of fronts. I mean, in the various uh, look at the sales charts, anywhere from Norway to the Netherlands to the United States, I mean, things are starting to taper off a bit on the special when you get, you know, above that forty, forty-five thousand dollar price point. And once you get below forty, or below thirty-five thousand dollars, it's clear that, you know, if you if you put a car into those lower price points, it does sell very well. But at some point, the, the overall market size for these cars that start in the forties and well equipped are well into the fifties, sixties, let alone seventies or eighties. I mean, I already see uh, the signs of saturation. You should go and visit some of the local Audi dealers that just got their e-tron units for the first time here within the last week or two. And um, it's not that easy to convert deposit holders into uh, into actual buyers. And that, that's uh, just going to be a big story over just over the next few months here. And then Mercedes may very well uh, be one of them who are going to be... Uh, uh, you know, having to lead a bit of a price war, I think, against the likes of Jaguar and Audi, and of course, the incumbent Tesla here. And that is going to be the thing to watch here in the next few months. I've been watching uh, Jaguar um, deals, and there are 0% deals for six or seven years on the iPace already. That's right. And I, I was just, uh, I swung by one just kind of little within the last couple of hours just to get a fresh update. And I said, look, you get 5,000 cash off from the manufacturer plus. Uh, some untold amount for most here, the dealer, depending on how long this unit has been sitting on the lot. Uh, lease deals are basically five grand down and seven ninety nine uh, starting, you know, price per month plus tax, obviously, on top of it. And uh, those were deals you couldn't get as of January of this year. So clearly, over the next last ninety days, uh, prices have started uh, coming down on some of these things. And I think this is more the beginning than the end. I think that we're going to be seeing this. I mean, just look at. Uh, how much uh, Tesla has lowered their lease prices in the not even one full month that they've been offering Model 3s for lease. They started offering them uh, for, you know, 3000 down and 500 something dollars per month and up. And uh, just a week ago, they cut the price to 399 I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty desperate to get rid of the units at this point. And that's why I'm wondering, I mean, are we, are we really witnessing a broad-based wave in the market? Or are we witnessing that there were there was basically a, a fixed buyer base and it's just really tough to go beyond these early adopters? Or is there something completely different going on? Is it the case, uh, whether we like it or not, that maybe the reputation of some of these cars uh, are not as uh, as positive as, as the uh, big fans seem to uh, want to say that they are. And, and this has not yet been sorted out, but I think the pricing will be the key uh, factor to watch here in the coming months. So, Anton, do you think that Tesla has a whole bunch of really smart people in their pricing department or just a big dartboard? 
Now, I think in, in Tesla's case, it's very simple. I mean, keep in mind, Tesla only sells electric cars, and they have fixed supplier agreements with Panasonic, which supplies them with all the batteries. Tesla basically needs to move X number of units every quarter, and they're going to set the price to what, whatever it takes to move those number of units. So for Tesla, it's very simple. They just got to keep lowering and lowering the prices so that they can sell close to 90,000 cars per quarter. I mean, that's just that's an iron rule over there, because unlike other automakers that sell electric cars so that they can sell the cars where they actually make money, Tesla has no cars that actually make money. Tesla lost over $11,000 per car sold in the March quarter that they reported the most recently, the most recent financial report that they issued here at the end of uh, April. And uh, they have no offsets, so uh, uh, they, they, have, uh, they, have, they have no way to make money at this point. They just have to move these units that ever-increasing loss. There, there seems to be a hole, too, with the whole Tesla plan, is if you lease a Tesla... They have no way to resell that when it comes back from a lease because they don't sell used Teslas in their stores. Isn't that right? Uh, no, I know. I don't think that's right, actually. I mean, they do sell them. They don't necessarily uh, let them sit in the showroom, per se, but they, there is an online database. You can go in and, and buy used Teslas, all right? And, and that, that's in itself and is a, a big issue because the... Uh, Second-hand uh, pricing of these Teslas are, are, are very, very volatile at this point, and uh, I think you'll also see a lot of movement in that here pretty soon because uh, a lot of these cars are coming back now. And if you, there was a very interesting report somebody put together just today from Norway uh, where they looked at the cumulative installed base in Norway of Model Ss. But you forget about the Model X, and forget about the Model Three, just the S, the one model that's been there the longest. It actually peaked in January, so at this point, the number of units sold since January 1st of Tesla Model S into the Norwegian market, which is the second largest EV market in the world, um, uh, is now lower than the number of Model S's that are being scrapped or otherwise uh, deregistered. So whether they're being scrapped because of accidents or they're, they just can't be repaired or whatever, that number is now larger than the new registrations from newly sold vehicles, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon here that uh, plays into this uh, used car situation. Let's. Uh, the other thing about Tesla's used cars, which is, is tougher, is that... Uh, e are you going to buy, me personally, I am not, I mean, unlikely to buy a vehicle that I haven't looked at closely that has been gently used because you never quite know what you're getting. At least you want to drive it. At least you want to look at it. At least you want to inspect it because we, we've seen this with real estate several times. The pictures do not do actually seeing, seeing something justice. Uh, pictures can be taken at a certain angle. Uh, the drive, the experience of you, I mean, the un, the is unlikely to buy a home without walking through it. Uh, you're even more unlikely to probably buy a car without at least setting eyes on it, if not driving it. So doesn't that present a challenge to Tesla as well? No, this is a phenomenon that is equally due to all cars in the market. It has always been the case, will always be the case in the future. And to the extent that Tesla does not do a good job of allowing buyers to uh, basically inspect and test drive these used cars, then they will have a tougher time moving that. We've, all, we've already seen how Mannheim and other auction sites have had a really hard time moving used Teslas and have projected them, and they, they're floating around in the systems. We have huge storage lots around the country where these cars are sitting, and uh, 
they certainly could need some help in that department of, of figuring out what to do with a second-hand market of, of, of Teslas because that is a that is a weak spot of the company right now, and it's a financial burden for them. You may look at their quarterly financial statements and see a line called service and other. You would think, okay, what is service and other? Well, obviously, it's service, right? But the other thing that goes into that bucket is used car sales, both the trade-ins and their own, uh, you know, both the Tesla-branded cars and the non-Tesla-branded cars. And last quarter, uh, I think the, the margin in that business was like negative 38%. So, I mean, what other car company in the world has a negative margin? The gross margin, that's before any of the overhead, okay? That's just the loss on the actual units before you've paid for the real estate and the, and, and the personnel costs of minus anything, let alone minus 38%. These are, uh, it's a, that's, a, that's like a staggering level of inefficiency. I think the U.S. Post Office could do a better job. <laughs> Anton, uh, it's always good to talk to you. Where can we read your, your articles? You can read them in two places. You can read them on seekingalpha.com and you can read them on a site called thestreet.com. Excellent. Anton Wallman and uh, John Vincent, thank you for joining us from US News and World Report. We, of course, you can see and hear everything you want to at ourautoexpert.com or all the social media channels.